saying how much they want a strong woman. What they really want is a cheerleader. I'd like someone who's physically very frail and won't stop talking. I just want what everybody wants. Seem to have a harder time getting it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Maximum Film. It's episode 279, and we're all feeling fine. Aging like fine wine. Yep, I gave you two rhymes. It's your host, if you whitey way, and in the booth with me are my friends. So let me introduce you to the hams. First up, we have the Christmas Zaddy himself, Ify Shakuda Ijoma Wadi Way's favorite uh, critic, and I, look, I'd say the best critic in the world, but he, tas- <laughs> he asked me specifically not to say that. It's Alonzo Durant all day what's good oh golly if he well I'll tell you i you know i know this is that period after the holidays where suddenly everybody like starts getting real self-conscious about you know the jenny craig ads start popping up on television where once they were for philadelphia cream cheese uh but i'm gonna fly in the face of that and recommend a delicious snack treat uh the people that gave you dots pretzels they are not done because now they're giving you dots cheese curls And I'm just here to tell you that you have not experienced the cheese curl until you've gone down the road of dots because uh, they are baked and crunchy, but they've got a cheese flavor that also has the kick of the seasoning that they put on their oh-so-addictive pretzels, and I am here for all of this. Okay, you said cheese curl, and I was wondering how adjacent to cheese curd that was, and then you described it, and I said, oh, not not adjacent no, at all. No, not at all. No, no, no. More, this is, more of a puffs uh, exactly. or Cheetos. Yes. A pa- all delicious. A, a, a if it has cheese outside, in the name, I'll yeah, enjoy yeah. it. But, yeah. you, know, uh, they, they, you know, look, Dots is, is changing the game on snacks. I have Louis Vertel to blame for getting me addicted to this stuff. And so now I'm diversifying. Uh, uh, hey, look, they could give me, uh, you know, uh, 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 wads of paper covered in a garlic seasoning, and I would be <laughs> first in line. So, you know, bring it on, Dots. <laughs> Uh, you know who else can bring it on? Well, you know, it's the person bringing on great movies into all the festivals. It's Drea Clark, the queen of the Midwest, super festival programmer, producer. What is good? All right. What is good for me um, coming out of the holiday season? Uh, any holiday travel for me always involves good books. And so something mm. I have recently enjoyed and inhaled and was also recommended to me. I don't know if everyone has this, but I have a well, who, she has become like my personal book curator. One of my dear friends, Kiva Lilliquest, professional librarian, trained librarian. Um, and this book, Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton. The pitch of it is Agatha Christie whodunit as Downton Abbey meets Quantum Leap meets Groundhog Day. And it's this super layered murder mystery that is like, ooh, story, reveal, turn, what? And it moves (laughs) along so nicely. And I was like rip-roaring through it. The ending stuck the landing. Uh, So yes, get get a Kiva in your life to recommend you good books. And if you don't, there's one you can start with. I, I super dug it. We all need a literary Sherpa in our life. Yes, literary (laughs) Sherpa. That's best. Yeah, we, we need that. You know who else you need in life? Uh, well, none of you. Who you need in your life is writer, actor, comedian, and California prune ambassador, Guy Branham. What's good? Woo-hoo, Guy um, Branham. Uh, thank you guys for having me. What's good 
is Shays Long by uh, Grammy nominees for Best New Artist, Wet Leg. I, as a middle-aged man, can sometimes be out of the flow of the popular culture, but the good people at the Who Weekly podcast were talking about the nominees for um, Best uh, Best New Artist, and they referred to uh, the girlies of uh, Wet Leg, and I was like, let me learn more about them. And they are bored, high-status British sluts. And that yeah. is something I'm always willing to listen to. That is good. <laughs> Sign me up. Someone tweeted the list of the nominees for Best New Artist. And I was like, oh, I- I'm a crone who lives in a cave. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Someone come braid my 14 feet of gray hair. We call what? this watching the MTV uh, Music Awards in my house. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, good for you, Wet Leg. Love the title. Great name. Good for you. Also, Guy's Pitch, or I guess Who's Weekly's Pitch. Um, but good to hear their music uh, stacks up to, the, sure. to all of the imaginations of Wet Leg. That's a good yeah. name. <laughs> I, if, I also agree. <laughs> and by the way, if you what's good. Nice. Oh, man. Yes. Nice. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. No, what's good with me is, uh, you know, just um, I got to say, uh, another H-Mart recommendation is coming your way. They have these Szechuan noodles. Uh, it, it comes in a, like, it's red letters and beige packaging. And, you know, you just dredge the noodles, get them nice and loose, and then you put them in that Szechuan sauce. And, you know, um, Emily made the the seasoned eggs, like, because she saw uh, me talk about how much I liked them. She was like, oh, I can make those easy. So now I got those seasoned ramen eggs on deck, and I put them in the Szechuan noodles, and it's uh, it's it's very delicious. So that is, that's the H-Mark pick. First one of the year, might Ify, I say. Ify, can you get more into that packaging? What's the font like? It's a nice slim yeah. font. I, well, I have to describe the packaging because I, of course, totally forgot the name. Uh, so, so just look, go, go in that H Mart aisle. You'll find it. It'll find you. You know, that's how we it. do it. <laughs> well, look, today we were telling you how we felt about the whale. And later we'll cast some Hollywood comeback movies of our own design. But first, this is our first episode of the new year. That means it's time for us to make some resolutions for the new movie year ahead. This is our time to name what we're looking forward to or what we're hoping for in the world of movies and the film industry in 2023. And if anybody has some personal movie-related goals, those are fair game, too. So, uh, you know, uh, Dre, why don't you kick this off? It's weird. It's like that you knew I had one ready to go. <laughs> um, uh, my New Year's movie resolution um, is a broader, like, oh, if I could just dream the dream, I would really like 2023 to be some sort of tide turner where films considered women's movies didn't do shit at the box office. Uh, um, yes. I did not love in 2022. We had some beautiful offerings. Films we discussed. Um, we talked about She Said on this podcast. I don't think we talked about Tar, which was wonderful and did... Okay, but like she said, it's a perfect example. It is a film that should be readily accessible and enjoyable to a wide audience. Anyone drawn to um, an investigative drama, which we've seen, like All the President's Men has been revered for decades. Fantastic film. But the minute you couch it as, oh, this is the women's All the President's Men, and they're also unlocking a, a 
cultural story about women and then it just in terms of who showed up for it so i would really love for that to uh turn around this year be really nice if those weren't just considered lesser um and in a, a reminder that we say all the time here you are voting with your box office money like the movies that you go out and support um and I'd add to it, any marginalized. Our guest here might be familiar with a motion picture called Bros that, um, <laughs> that, that had a lot of the same weight on its shoulders in terms of, oh, these are lesser stories or marginalized stories or these are not the stories for all four quadrants. And uh, yeah, they kind of all are. Stories are stories. So anyway, that is my, that is lesser resolution than, ooh, am, if I am a, a hag who lives in a cave, then let me unleash my powers. <laughs> Put a little magical uh, uh, wish wish making out there. I, I want to piggyback on that because, yes, I, I agree 100% with all that. But even beyond the scope of the marginalized story, I would love to see Hollywood figure out a way how to release uh, mid-range budget movies aimed at older audiences because yeah. that is what seems to be in general an endangered species. I mean, the number of people who I told about confess Fletch who didn't even know it existed. Yeah, you know, and that's like that's as that's as hetero white cis as you can get, and still like it does not nary a ripple. So yeah, anything that isn't animated and isn't like about uh, superheroes or aliens, I would really like that that uh, quadrant to still exist and come back to life uh and not just streaming you know and yes. i was just going to say and get a theatrical yes we we, <laughs> yeah. we we know that people will watch it at home but like you know what they'll also come see it in theaters if well, you sell it right and pitch it right like barb and star was such a lovely experience but imagine if you had been able to have that experience the way you oh. had bridesmaids and like sat in let's be honest for me a theater in west hollywood full of fags like exploding. <laughs> I still crave that experience. And that was one that came out. I just wasn't going to theaters and most people weren't, unfortunately. Yeah. But like, but since then, since we've all sort of mutually, for the most part, decided that like, okay, under these circumstances and now that I've boosted and I have my mask on and I'll go to the matinee, even even now, like movies like that aren't finding an audience and there needs to be some way that they do. If he dreams goals. You know, dreams is uh, that... <laughs> Is that we don't stop here, you know? We we're we're inching closer to the last fast movie, but why stop at ten? Uh, why why not go into twenty? Uh, why not go to thirty and have a triple X crossover with Fast Thirty? You know, we, I got big ideas here. I uh, and, and go big ideas more. and a solid grasp of Roman numerals. Very impressive. <laughs> But yeah, but more realistically, uh, which is funny uh, enough, quite the opposite, more uh, chances taken on these kind of like mid-range, smaller budget movies that tell these, you know, simple stories that connect uh, as people. I do... Uh, believe in the power of you know cinema into connecting people and i think now more than ever we need films about people from different backgrounds to show how uh you know how not so different we really are based on how many people we think 
And I think that kind of is the is very similar to Alonzo's, which is like, you know, I I love a Marvel, I love a big alien flick, but there was a time where like that was a moment and an event, and somehow it has become the full media cycle. Uh, you know, there's no longer the summer blockbuster, it is the year-round blockbuster, and I think it'd be fun to pace it back down a bit and kind of have more diversity and types of films that we can go see every Friday. Guy, Guy? any any resolutions from you? Um, the the ones I came up with were essentially said by you guys, <laughs> but I, I, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it very clearly as a resolution. I'm going to go to the theater when there is a comedy. Like, mm. you know, uh, I went to Ticket to Paradise with my friend Marina. We go see rom-coms together. But just sort of, like, you know, bros not doing well at the box office. It was like, uh-oh, I had been really hoping that this would, like, pave the way for more gay stuff to come out. But it was more just a moment of just sort of, like, what's comedy supposed to do? Like, I don't know if my livelihood can exist in the feature space you know, if this is the way things are going. And so I think, you know, because, like, while you can have successes on streaming, they're not going to make the money off of it that they make if it is sort of like a wild theatrical success. Um, and so I'm resolved to go see comedies at the theater, even Easter Sunday, too, if it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, I bought two tickets to Bros, so, you know. I, Thank I you. I tried to do my part. Uh, my, my, my other hope for this year is, uh, we know, we've just seen Hallmark go through a Christmas season where there were um, two Asian-led films, uh, one Hanukkah movie, a Kwanzaa movie, and two movies that didn't end in a kiss because they were about grieving widows beginning the process of finding love again. So all of which to say... Things are getting shaken up over there, and I want more shaking. I want more holidays. I, I want, like, uh, give me a Ramadan movie. I don't know what that looks like, but I want it. Uh, you know, give me give me all the festivals and, and all of the celebrations. Give me more gays. You know, Jonathan Bennett uh, in the Holiday Sitter is a good start. But, uh, you know, give me some queers of color. Give me some some wisecracking lesbians, whatever. Uh, I, I, I want it. I, look, you've, you're, you, the fans that you have driven crazy and alienated – Make them crazier. Make them more angry. Make them make them insist they're gonna more that they're never gonna watch again, even though they always do because they all tweet about it. Uh, so yeah, that's that is my as as the as the hallmark viewer here. That's what I want in twenty twenty three. Um, can I do a small pitch for a Ramadan rom com that does exist that I programmed at Bentonville Ooh, called yes. um, Mike Masalam's Breaking Fast. Wonderful gay rom-com set around Ramadan um, starring Haas Sleiman and Michael Cassidy and oh. May There Be Many More of Its Ilk coming soon just for Alonzo and, you know, everyone. Okay. Mm. I'm in. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, Breaking yeah. fast. Check it out. We need it. So uh, we will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, unfortunately, they haven't given us full control over Hollywood yet, so we might not be able to make all of those movie resolutions come true. But as they say here in L.A., we're manifesting. If you have a 2023 movie year resolution, go ahead and share them on our Facebook group, www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Maximum Film. But right now we're going to take a break. But when we come back, it's open season on The Whale. Thank you. 
my fellow graduates, for 500 episodes, my podcast, The JV Club with Janet Varney, has gathered story after story of all the scandalous things we've done throughout our childhoods. Stories like how Jamila Jamil survived a horrific house party and she was on crutches. Or how Hal Lublin learned a Shakespearean monologue in his pajamas. This is not the speech we approve. Without your love and life tragedies, there would be no podcast. In fact, I'll have an exclusive look at how Maggie Lawson's mom confronted her after a sneaky basement meetup with her crush. Spill the tea, JV. Security! Uh, uh, listen to the JV Club with Janet Varney Thursdays on Maximum Fun! Class of forever! Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Ifiwadi Way. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Guy Branham. Alonzo Duraldi. Today's movie is the latest from Darren Aronofsky, who you'll remember as the director of movies like Requiem for a Dream, Black Swan, and Mother! It stars Brendan Fraser, Hong Chow, and Sadie Sink. People have been talking about it, and now it's our turn. Drea, would you mind giving us a brief synopsis of The Whale? Ah, uh, sure, I could definitely do that. Obviously, we, we are discussing uh, The Whale after it was in the cinemas, and a lot of the discourse sort of got kicked up. But I think it's a movie that um, we have been discussing internally for a long time. I know I certainly wanted to bring my friend and our good friend Guy in to talk about it, because it is a movie I spent most of last year dreading um, coming out and was very fearful of seeing. And I do think it's the kind of thing that we particularly like to dig into and analyze because there's a lot of both critical and personal avenues to take in it. So with that, here is the synopsis. Uh, the Whale is an adaptation of a stage play by Samuel D. Hunter. Um, it takes place entirely inside the apartment of uh, a reclusive English teacher who is... Uh, 600 plus pounds and you know that because it's all the movie discusses and shows um he's a large man who is eating himself to death um enabled and cared for by the sister of his deceased partner and uh his very not happy teenage daughter appears um for not reconciliation but uh sort of reconciliation redemption i guess yeah the whale <laughs> ah, nice uh yeah the whale um yeah so uh, <laughs> uh so to kick off the discussion i'm going to uh you know ask one of these wonderful questions uh, marissa have written for us that i definitely know the answer to for most people uh did this movie inspire an emotional reaction in you and if so what was that reaction <laughs> emotional uh, is great because emotions are there's so many to choose from <laughs> I mean, like Drea, this movie spawned an emotional reaction in me a, a year and a half ago when I heard that it was going to happen. And I was sort of like, oh, they cast Brendan Fraser to play a gay guy and they're going to put him in a fat suit. And I was worried about that. And so I got the play to sort of like understand what was going on. And it was like a slow descent from there. Um, it, you know, the, the play is, I think, very bad. Um, and I, you know, but still when, when I got the screener, 
and I had been desperately trying to see the screener to understand what it was. It was only through, you know, the amazing skills of Drea Clark that I was able to get it. Um, but as I started it, there was that moment of like, I might cry. Like at the end of the day, it's still Brendan Fraser. Like it's like it's still going to be probably an amazing performance. I might cry. And this movie didn't really evoke any emotions from me that it was trying to. There like there were moments when I cackled at it. Like <laughs> there were moments when the camp got so high I was like I can definitely see this playing as part of like a clip reel at a gay bar in Palm Springs at like <laughs> six in the afternoon. But at no point in time and and he, reading reviews where people talk about the tears and the sympathy, I'm like was it just impossible for me to have that kind of relationship to this story because I will always identify with Charlie, the main character, because he's not that much fatter than I am, you know? <laughs> like, I can't see him as this weird object of abjection because, you know, he's honestly me after, like, you know, a, a couple of fun holiday seasons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I, I also went into this with a lot of trepidation, much of which was sadly fulfilled. But I mean, I think part of the problem here is that while, yes, Brendan Fraser is acting the shit out of this thing, and it's hard not to sympathize with those, you know, puppy dog eyes that he's got, it created this level of sort of Brechtian interference for me that I never stopped watching Brendan Fraser in a fat suit. Mm -hmm. And when I say fat suit, I mean like, like with other arms on top of his arms to give him extra sausagey fingers, you know, and all these latex chins, like it's a costume. It's not even, it goes beyond the, the realm of makeup into an, a costume that he is wearing. And because of that, I, 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 I could never lose myself in Charlie and Charlie being a person. All I got was Brendan Fraser in this ridiculous getup. And, and so like had Darren Aronofsky cast like an unknown to play this role, you know, like where I, I wouldn't have had that, that level of separation. Maybe it would have been a little bit better, but I mean, this, this it is such a hokey premise and such a, a barely like dissected character matched with, and I generally like Aronofsky, but he really likes him some body horror and he likes him some sort of transformative body horror. And so this movie is so like, take a big long look at this disgusting fat sack of shit who if you saw on the subway, you would have to avert your eyes. But here in the safety of a movie theater, drink it in. Drink it in safely, knowing that it's really hot Brendan Fraser with a fat suit on. <laughs> it's just such a freak show I, and so awful. I couldn't take I, it. I would like to make three points. My first point is, Tar needed a Russian cellist. They hired a cellist who had never acted a fucking day in her life, and she figured out a Russian accent, and that's something we trust a nice hot cellist to do, but it is something we cannot imagine a really fat person do. We cannot imagine a really fat person doing. Second one, you were never able to sink into Charlie as a character, because Charlie's not a character. There is nothing that holds together there. There is no humanity. There's none of the subtlety or nuance that you get from good writing where characters are built. This play and now film is certain that it is a whole lot smarter and more empathetic than it actually is. And I forget my third point. <laughs> you can, you can um, table it. I'll, I'll <laughs> add that... Like, when it, it comes to the emotional reactions, I, I'm agreeing with both of you, 
But I also, I do not think finding a talented, unknown, fat actor to play Charlie would have changed this for me. No. Like, to yeah. Guy's point of my distance from it, and although I agree with Alonzo, I was constantly aware of, like, yes, what amazing prosthetics you made. Congratulations. Yeah. That didn't change it. Like, Brendan Fraser's performance is the best part of this movie. And so even if they had to, like, pad him out or do whatever nonsense that's distracting it was still not enough of a story and an arc and something that's giving me like this movie my my nervousness about it it just reminded me of like when trailers years ago when trailers for shallow hell started playing mm. i remember sitting in a theater as a fat american and being like immediately face sweating like oh sweet yep. jesus do not look at the gwyneth and then look at me and be like oh that woman could have played her like just this immediate no 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 yeah and there was something about when the whale was introduced and like the first images of it all of that i just was like ugh. but then when i saw this movie i'm like oh you're not even you think you're, it's like a faux empathy. You're not even giving me, like you're giving someone like the, the loving care of the sound design to making this guy wheeze at every turn. Or like I had to Such listen to him drool. eat for five minutes. Like we all know what humans sound like. Why are you making this human? <laughs> because he's, he's not human. Yeah, like yeah. he's, he's not human. He is a beast. And yeah. this is in like I don't really know what this story is because is he a great guy who is absorbing all of this stuff or is he a terrible self-destructive person who is bringing this upon himself and can't control himself? It doesn't know what it's doing. But my third point from before, which I remember, <laughs> it was about so you know that B-roll when they show B-roll of fat people, they always chop our heads off <laughs> yes. because yes. it would be too uncomfortable to associate with an actual human being. Putting Brendan Fraser inside of a, like a styrofoam couch and saying that's the character, like a is that same thing of disconnecting the fatness from any degree of humanity. That this movie didn't even make you look at a fat person <laughs> is a problem with its purported journey towards empathy. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, something Alonzo said kind of hit it on me, which is uh, Aronofsky's love for body horror, because, you know, it isn't until halfway, I feel like through the movie that you understand that he is doing something self-destructive. I feel like the a lot of the opening stuff, especially like the opening scene is like, oh, look at this fat guy try and jerk off to gay porn. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it like weird? And then you have like the, the character bust in and it's played for comedy. But then like when you know the whole story, it's like this is a very tragic scene played for comedy. Like if, if, if we're, you know, taking the story at its base level, which is he, um, they're in Idaho and the, um, the, this new religion that they made up because they didn't want to make it, you know, Mormon. Uh, so, so they want decided to protect some people, uh, when making this, uh, and it was the Mormons that they chose. Uh, but you know, they, you have this story where like, it is this tragic story where someone, uh, everyone's afraid to just be their real selves. The, the homophobia within this town that has caused these people to fall in 
love and fight against it that will end in two people dying. And what we're focusing on is how fat and disgusting he is, not the act of self-destruction. It didn't feel like we were focusing on this person who was doing this to himself. And I feel like some people can definitely see that. And I think that's where all the, the, the praise is coming from is the people who can see through that. But I mean, like the hyper cuts of him eating and the way the, the, the when he grabs the bucket of chicken and the, the focus on how he's like, I'm like, this is, this was a well put together English teacher that all of a sudden can't eat a bucket of fried chicken. Now that all of a sudden, like you, like it just really felt like it was dunking on a specific type of person. It's sorry. It's dunking on something it doesn't understand. And part of that is there's an implication towards eating disorders in this, which I would certainly welcome and have seen in film before in different interesting ways. You know who also ate a weird bucket of chicken? Brittany Murphy in Girl Interrupted. Like, there's something Mm. about compulsive eating or even... It's it's that they tried to thread that. There's this whole scene where he has like a a drawer full of treats next to him, and he's gonna eat the. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not like so. You see him with those, and you also see like you get one shot of him when he's younger, and he is bigger. He's not like oh, I was like Brendan Fraser Fraser in School Ties, but like that they show this, and they're like trying to establish something. And yet they also want this ridiculously neat parallel between his lover who starved himself to death and then he is now eating himself to death. And isn't that tidy? And it's that to me, there's such a, a, such a blank and empty artistic well, statement. Drea, we had to see that he was once not as fat to know that he was once human. Um, and it's like, yeah. this, and this, worthy of any kind of affection, love, interest at all. Yeah. Like this, this play and movie is so much, it's so certain that it's so much more sophisticated than it is. All of these references to Moby Dick Ooh. while sort of saying, and you know, at the end of the day, everybody's good. Baby, that couldn't be further from what Moby Dick is about. Like, you know, <laughs> Uh, Darren Aronofsky loves him some esoteric Judaism. We had to watch a whole Jennifer Lawrence movie about it, and it's like, buddy, have you read Jonah recently? Do you? Yes, he has to because it's what they read to us on Yom Kippur. It comes up a lot, but like, like Jonah is a comedy about somebody trying to destroy themselves and not being able to. Like, the, uh, also, is this is this noise is off? Why are people constantly <laughs> bursting in the door of this reclusive oh man? <laughs> oh, it's like the traffic jams. By the way, and and you know, it's funny that this lead character is a creative writing professor because like so much of the stuff involving the ancillary characters is so like bad playwriting 101 where they'll come in and they'll say something kind of elliptical that's going to refer to what the reveal that's coming later and like you could just you could graph you know the way you used to have to diagram a sentence the way that like okay here's a thing that's alluded to in so and so's first appearance and then by the by the time appearance four happens we get the full reveal it's like <sighs> Whatever. He movie. also as a he's a terrible writing teacher. Yes. Like his, yes. The, the ultimate thing he's like breaking towards, which to me was like reminiscent, like an inversion of the Robin Williams in Goodwill <laughs> Hunting. The like it's not. Oh, I your thought you were fault. gonna say in in um uh, Dead Poets Society. <laughs> oh, it really actually both. Fair. I'll combine those two. But the idea of like, oh, it's not your fault. Like just this like repetitive whatever. Him speaking to this like class and honestly like 
you've been sending me things on, you're going to rewrite it to death and blah, blah. Just this tell me something honesty, true. This honesty. I was like, uh, as a former college instructor, don't do that. Like, that is not <laughs> good. Right. Like, you're here to learn the, the technical elements. I just everything he was telling them. I'm like, these are oh, this is killing me. This is killing me. And does he actually think his daughter? Yeah, I I was also very so Sadie Sink I would love to to speak about because I agree. Like we only meet what like five people in this, and every one of them who bursts through the door, like as someone who lives in a bunker, uh-uh. That's not how it works. (laughs) Absolutely not. You don't even see me. My lights are not on. Like, you're not coming in my door. But, like, every person that comes in is like, I have a quick lesson to challenge you with. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Oh, Sadie Sink, though. That's the other thing that the, the other criticism I have of Aronofsky's direction in this, other than. There's a, such a disconnect between how I think he sees this main character and how people who live in this world actually are seen and just everything he's doing. But like Hong Chow, fantastic. She's the, mm-hmm. oh, she's yes. the caregiver. Sure. She threads the line of uh, enabling and being genuinely fearful for someone. And you guys don't want not to be repetitive myself, but I've discussed that here before. And like, she's doing a lot and it's complicated and interesting. Sadie Sink, who talented young actress, hope she does well, hope she goes on to great things. But I found her performance both strong and incredibly one note. She comes in and she's like, I am angry in this way. And the next scene, were you wondering about me? I'm angry in this way. (laughs) And that to me, that's a director. Like you have a, an actor of any age or skill level. Your director is there to calibrate where you are within a scene. You're not shooting in order. You're not doing whatever. Like, okay, in this one, let's maybe we'll have like an introspective. So those are the things that I'm like, what were you paying attention to when you were crafting this? Because there's so many nuances that were so over your head. And also, also, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and also just kind of like what you said earlier, are we supposed to believe she's actually a good person or not? Because at the end of the day, not, there's no proof of of yeah, anything. There, that seems there was accidental no, at best. Yeah, yeah, there was no moment in which I was on her side. And, you know, you know, her breaking down because he remembered her poem doesn't really kind of like sing to me because earlier he's pointed out the fact that while she he thought he abandoned her that he's actually been in touch actually been sending money so if that didn't work why is reading her essay something that that now breaks through and i think that's one of uh, those things i like to call artsy for artsy's sake we thought it was it was it was building up to the big moment of this but i i once again it is a thing where it's like because you didn't give her any ebb and flow in the performance and she's just been stonewalling the whole time, I just don't believe that this is what turns her. Uh, like, Hunter has built so many traps and devices within this, and, like, but no character feels as though he has any insight into them or has spent time with them. And that resolution, how can a movie this much about fatness have a resolution that thin? You know? Like, <laughs> like how can it really be... Oh no, like it's it's such a bullshit thing to walk away with, you know, people like 
we already have Anne Frank at the end of real Anne Frank story saying, <laughs> I do believe that people are inherently good or whatever she says. Like, I don't need to hear it from, you know, this puppet. But worse yeah. than the philosophy of his that comes across is when this ended and I was like, oh, on top of all of the other things that I'm going to hold against you, I have just now watched two hours of someone essentially glorifying a suicidal ideation. Yep. Yes. That, like that this man's ending, sorry about the spoiler alert, but spoiler, I'm not going to tell you to watch this movie anyway. That how this ends is this literally beatific moment, him ascending, him transcending the horrible shell he lives in. And you are meant to be like joyful. Oh, God, relief. So moving. Oh, the relief. But there's also something so deeply, deeply, like, deeply problematic about the fact that it is a, a, a rare movie about a fat person. And it is saying, well, he is choosing to willfully do this to himself. <gasps> yes. But, yeah, but, yeah. He's so, but he's so sad though, that we are sweet and we are sympathetic and then he goes to heaven. And it just, it, it made me more aware of all of the movies um, that take this essentialist line towards women or people of color and are just sort of, that's what they really want. That Like, it, there's just something so gross about not in any way challenging this weird and terrible like like presumption that people make about very fat people well that's what i was just about to say that same thing that like enough there are a lot of just bad ideas presented that weren't challenged like in that moment where this like shithead you know missionary kid is like god will save you from the shell of a body like he just kind of sits there and take it in this moment where this shithead says that his partner died because of it all he does is like yeah i am disgusting right like no no bad idea is challenged and that's all kind Kind of what uh, I I feel like that's that left me going. Well, what what do you think? What do what do the people making this think? Because I left the movie not knowing what any what what Darren thought, what the what, what Sam D Hunter thought. All I knew was that Brendan Fraser and Hong Chow can act their ass off, <laughs> but but like I don't know what you want me to take from this because, like you said, guy, and I think that was my biggest you know um, problem with it is this idea that like every everyone who is obese has done this to themselves from eating crazy when there are a million and one reasons for that to happen. Bodies are weird. Bodies mm -hmm. are everybody like even even the the meatiest of the meatheads. Uh, you know, president of the meatheads speaking here will tell you before you can even begin to start trying to bodybuild, you have to find out what fucking type of body you have. Are you a mesomorph, an endomorph, a uh, uh, ectomorph, a mix of one of the two? And that's and what that means is like well, how your body process. <laughs> no, no, but that will be my uh, my gym moniker. Uh, but like it's all because your body processes carbs and fats differently. Everyone's does. So to have this guy be like, I'm gonna eat a whole bunch of fat fast food, and that's how he grew into this. Big, it it is like gross misunderstanding of you know fat people, and it's and it's putting a lot of blame on them. And it is you are sh trying to be like, look how gross this fucking person is, and how this fat person his house is ruined, and how he dropped a key and he can't pick it up. Pick it and up. that they deserve I, it. That was well, the other can, element. They of brought that. it on themselves. I, I I want to talk a little about the craft or lack thereof. In that you have Darren Aronofsky once again teaming with cinematographer 
cinematographer Matthew Libatique, who like the two of them have created like even movies that you you might not like them. Looking at them is is an experience, you know. And for a film that is, I, I did not know it was a play going in, but boy did I know by the end of it because you never leave that apartment, and that's certainly a choice. And if they had really leaned into that in a sort of like kind of William Friedkin, you know, directs Boys of the Band kind of way, where like you are trapped in that apartment and you can smell the 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 the, the shag carpeting and all that stuff, or or the whatever the the the, the wall to wall, you know, that would have been one thing. But it just it looks flat. It looks like it's like a, a single camera sitcom almost. It's just it's a, it's a it's a beige nothing of a look. Also. Make that meatball sub look appealing in some way. Get us sure. inside his head. Like, um, also, like, I m- make that missionary. That missionary is a hot young guy coming into a gay man's apartment. When I read the play, there was something of a sense of tension and excitement and deliciousness there that all of these straight guys making this movie. It was like there could have been something beautiful there. Like there, you could have been giving us something like uh, like aesthetic and delicious. And they were like, "No, we're making a point." <laughs> I yeah. felt like that was them actually. Like, oh well, we don't want to also imply that he's like into hot young guys because yeah. who, who I mean who doesn't love attractive well, people in funny, the prime of their lives? Yeah. Funny enough, that was like my favorite moment was when he was like, "I'm not attracted to you. I'm not," because I was like the last thing I want is to see this man also get turned down by this shithead missionary but like I was like that that to me like like to in that moment it's like it was like they're like all gay guys aren't trying to fuck straight dudes and I was like that's the only thing you've said what are what are like but you're still like look at this <laughs> gross guy and I, I agree with you guy why why does everything he eats look disgusting and why it to me it feels like a weirdo vegan made this where it's like <laughs> look at all this look at what you're putting into your body where it's like I think you're right we should be like invested in in this man as he totally doing it and also like I said uh, you know early like if you're gonna do this and this is the message you're saying then we need to understand that he is like self-destructing this doesn't because to me the first part of the movie felt like I just felt I leaned over to Emily and I was like uh, I think Darren Aronofsky hates fat people uh, because that's what it feels like. And it, and that was uncomfortable. And then everything started to connect a little bit. But I think, like you said, at the end of the day, the moral of the story was I think people are inherently good where I don't know why that's the what he got from the story we saw. Yeah. <laughs> You know, the one the one person who tried to connect with him, Dan, the pizza guy who was like, oh, I feel worried about this, takes one look at him and then runs away. So how does does someone see that and believe that people are inherently good? You know, the 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 um, the the guy is a part of a church that essentially is the reason that his partner killed himself. Why would someone look at that and believe that people are inherently good? Everything bad has been happening to this person. I don't think that person. uh, would think people are inherently good, and I think he has a right to lash out at these people. And I really hated sitting there watching him get like stepped on by everyone, and him just taking it. Because to me, I thought the moment he said that his his partner died because of him was like, oh, okay, we're gonna see Brendan Fraser kill this person because uh, <laughs> that person deserved to get murk. In my book, as a viewer, I was like, oh, this is this is when we kill and we're on his side because that is way out of pocket. But instead, he 
says he's disgusting. I mean, yeah. it is a classic. It is a very artsy version of a one of the good ones movie. And <laughs> when it comes to like gay people and fat people to some extent, one of the good ones uh, offs himself. You know, one of the good ones removes himself from the narrative so that other people can learn a lesson. Real people who will have children and matter to society. Yeah, yeah. True, true, vote, true. Vote, vote, vote. <laughs> uh, I'm a skip it. This movie is basically like if you were making Tropic Thunder 2 and you wanted to parody the kind of performance the Academy loses their mind over because an attractive, recognizable actor, oh, and it's a comeback, uh, swathes themselves in a, an unrecognizable amount of latex and then plays pitiable. Uh, you know, uh, for your consideration, Brendan Fraser. Um, I'm also a skip it, and I am also preaching the uh, virtue. Brendan Fraser is doing beautiful work here, largely because I think that guy does love Charlie. I think he mm-hmm. sees beautiful sure. things in Charlie oh, yeah. and worth and value and humanity and pain, and he has such a goodness to him. I, you know, please never let it come out that Brendan Fraser is actually a trash bag human, mm. but. Um, None of this, it was not, it wasn't an enjoyable watch, but it also wasn't thought provoking in ways that I found um, helpful or constructive. It was thought provoking in a, how does he keep getting funding? That, that sort of <laughs> Who are his financers and can I get their direct numbers? Yeah. Um, Guy? I, I am also a skip it. Um, if you would like to see uh, a fat person in a movie, go watch any version of Hairspray. Um, we frankly have not been better than T- Tracy Turnblad when it comes to representations of all that uh, obesity can be. And also, Tracy's mom in the musical, like, what a wonderful version of the person who feels too fat to leave the house um, and their journey of discovery and empowerment. Good for you, John Travolta. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, and improving Lonzo's point, I, I'm going to go stream it to at least see Brennan's phrase, Brennan Fraser's uh, performance and Hong Chow. But if you're like, no, I'm not, definitely go check out Driveways. Uh, Hong Chow killed it in that. You or go. you can see the menu. I haven't seen that, but everyone says that's mm. great. So, oh, really? We got menu like, hating here. I okay, like we got. Oh, wow. Well, that's that was a bonus extra review. <laughs> <laughs> Wowie zowie. Also, okay, but, go to Guy Branham's Instagram and watch yes. all the places he took his copy of The Whale while vacationing yes. in summer of 2022. Yes, <laughs> indeed. And just, uh, you know, from me personally in general, just uh, anytime Guy Branham's in your town doing comedy, go see it. Uh, always love uh, sitting in the back laughing like a maniac. And then people turn and it's like, that guy's a comic. He's just trying to. I'm not. I think Guy is that funny. Okay. All right. So we'll be right back after you hear from another show for Maximum Fun. Hey, that's Ben. And that's Adam. And together we host a show called Greatest Trek on Maximum Fun that covers all of the new Star Trek shows. Lower Decks, Strange New Worlds, Picard, Prodigy, Discovery, and any other Star Trek show Paramount throws at us. Come check it out for our funny and formative recaps of all the new stuff the Star Trek industrial complex churns out. It's in your podcatcher every Tuesday. Subscribe to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Vivi Wadiway. In the studio with me are Alonzo Duralde, Guy Branham, Drea Clark. And for better or worse, and true or false, today's movie has been called a comeback for its lead, Brendan Fraser. What fixture of Hollywood's past would you like to see make a comeback film? And what kind of movie would you want it to be? Can we do a side note that uh, last year when this came out, that there was also a comeback for uh, Ki Hui Kwan um, within Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, um, oh, who yes. was also a big sort of 90s lead mm-hmm. and... Mm. A very unexpected. Eighties. Oh yeah, speak it. Eighties even. It. You're right, Alonzo. Yeah. Oh god, speak back to it. the cave for me and my fourteen foot braid. Yeah. Oh <laughs> well. See, I've um. I'm see how much because I it's so it's so funny. I I'll I'll be vague because this is a, a very real idea I have. But you know, look, <laughs> I like sharing. <laughs> You're giving us but a pitch. I think. I th- oh, yeah, I think Megan uh, Megan Fox deserves another shot. And so, you know, I had a, a fun idea where uh, all in all, she, in the movie, it's her, uh, you know, dealing with a shitty director who was over-sexualizing her and making advances at her and trying to add, uh, blackball her. But in this version, uh, she doesn't, it doesn't work because uh, she kicks that person's ass. But I want to kick ass Megan Fox movie because, it, you know, uh, she did get a rough deal and um and she deserves uh you know if she wants i want to say nobody tell iffy about the 15 megan fox netflix movies that came out last year (laughs) exactly do not tell him Uh, I'm going to hook on to that because mine also is somebody who, uh, you know, it it was tragic. It was was a thing where it was like, hey, whatever happened to and then you found out and it was it it has awful connections to Harvey Weinstein. But Mm. uh, I am a great admirer of Annabella Shora uh, ever since her her debut in Nancy Savoca's uh, Real Love, Uh, Real Love or True Love? true love Ooh. anyway yeah. um she's dynamite and and i think you know it would be great to to get her out there again and i was just reminded by one of the few things that i took away from disney plus's recent uh the santa claus's series there's a hilarious cameo from laura san giacomo as la bafana uh mm-hmm. and so which was a fun take on uh, christmas stuff so i think we need an annabella shora laura san giacomo like Road trip, buddy <gasps> comedy, um, you know, mystery heist, uh, Snoop Sisters reboot, something. I think the two of them together would be dynamite. And, uh, you know, look, if Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin can take their vaudeville routine into, you know, the 22nd century, uh, I think it's time to start, you know, setting the pathways for, for more comedy duos, you know, north of 50. So, like, if I could get uh, Christine Baranski and Wendy Malick together... For instance. For instance. (laughs) Shreya, have you ever seen Take My Advice, the Ann Landers and Dear Abby story starring Wendy Malick and wait for it, Wendy Malick? (laughs) No. I clearly need to. Hold on. I I have it on DVD. I will get it to you. I feel like I know what my next week's What's Good is going to be. One of the great great TV movies right up there with the one where Jonah and Melissa Rivers play themselves. (laughs) I also own that on DVD. (laughs) I would have been disappointed if you hadn't. Uh, I think we should just shove our hand into a bag filled with the cast of Dazed and Confused, pick out oh, yeah. two boys and two girls, um, like 
uh, there were so many amazingly charismatic actors there and so many of them you know Matthew McConaughey and Parker Posey we still have and then there were so many people like Marissa Ribisi um like Joey Lauren Adams Joey Lauren Adams um that you know and all of those dudes who were so fucking hot Nikki Cott like and if you just gave me like Marissa Ribisi Joey Lauren Adams and two of those hot boys in some sort of midwestern sexual comedy of manners I would be very excited for that Cole Hauser and Wiley Wiggins are absolutely available. <laughs> <laughs> they're findable. They're down. I would. I, I would watch that. I would watch them all just driving around Texas. Still, and Anthony yes. Rapp is the wisecracking neighbor. <laughs> Anthony Rapp. Oh God, that was so good. Or uh, Ola, what's it? His friend. I just want to dance. <laughs> Ooh, Nikki. Oh no, no. You said Nikki Cat. It's not Nikki Cat. Whatever. This is gonna kill me. Someone all those up. boys were hot. All, All of boys them. Were hot. Yep. Sasha Jensen. He and was I, very hot. I don't oh, know where he is Sasha now. Sasha Jensen, beautiful boy. I also ben very Affleck. Much, Whatever happened to him? Yeah. Um, okay, so here's who I would bring. Tia Carrera should have been a huge rom-com star. Tia Carrera in Wayne's World, so charming, so dreamy, so likable, and also had to like play her own nonsense music and she was wonderful and Amazonian, but down to earth. She was Chrissy Teigen before Chrissy Teigen knew what Chrissy Teigen was. <laughs> I think she's so wonderful and I would have loved to have seen so much more with her. And also if someone gives me money, I will make the Shazam genie movie with Sinbad <laughs> in 2023. Yeah. Uh, when you are in the mood to start watching Hallmark Christmas movies again, she, Tia Carrere played the mom, but the fun, sexy mom in yeah. a big fat family Christmas. Oh, good. I'm not a regular mom. I'm a fun mom. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I want for her. Okay. And that was do call it a comeback. Maybe this segment will make a comeback. Who knows? Now it's time for Saf Picks. It could be any movie at all. Drea, why don't you kick us off? I was worried no one would bring up LL Cool James. Ladies love <laughs> Cool James at all. And then there, there you did, just in a way. Yeah, um, yeah. My staff pick for this week, it comes out the day this episode comes out, January 6th. It is a film called Women Talking, uh, directed by Sarah Pauly. Um, it is a fantastic I, there's thought provocation. There's something that's going to make you feel a lot that has a lot to do with systemic ills. It is set in a Mennonite community um, and revolves around, it's women talking, um, a, a large group of women who are dealing with repercussions of a new revelation of what the men in their community have been doing to some of them and how they are going to handle it. It is so beautifully orchestrated. It's uh, There's a lot of similarities in terms of uh, large parts of it take place in one space yeah. and are people take notes Darren Aronofsky yeah there are people dealing with um with trauma and that's both been inflicted and just c coming up through them through their style of life and uh it's wonderful and it is a women's picture that I would love for people to support and go see um women talking you will thank me it is a great 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 film seconded uh and i'm going to completely kiss our uh guests ass by reminding everyone that bros is now streaming on peacock hey. that is Yay. my that is my staff pick this year one of the best films of 2022 that maybe you missed and Ooh. so now is your chance to catch up with a very very funny and sweet and uh provocative and just all around wonderful movie 
Uh, my reciprocal ass-kissing is that you and your husband talking so much about desk set got me into a very 1950s headspace, and I started emphatically recommending Born Yesterday to uh, my bosses uh, at at Hacks, um, and then I had to go and rewatch it myself. Um, it is a, a fun little comedy that is noteworthy because uh, its lead actress, uh, Judy Holliday, ends up beating... Uh, uh, Gloria Swanson. Betty, Betty, Gloria Swanson for Sunset Boulevard and uh, uh, Betty Davis and um, and Baxter for All About Eve. Um, and I know so many gay guys who love the Oscars too much who thought that this was some sort of weird, bad upset. And then they saw Judy Holiday in that movie and they were like, no, 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 no. She's the best. Like, it is just one of the most virtuoso performances of an archetype that you've seen many times in bad ways. Do yourself a fucking favor. No. All right. Well, uh, yeah, look, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to keep Edge of my seat. Uh, no, this one's a, a layup. I already talked about it earlier. Uh, we talked about it. Go see Driveways. Uh, you Aww. know, I, yeah, 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 you thought. <laughs> my bad, <laughs> Direct, my bad. Director Andrew on. Uh, it's a good time. Uh, yeah, we we loved it. And we're sure you will do. And after I'm not going to lie. It, I thought if he was going to say Encino Man. <laughs> that is absolutely where Sorry, I thought you but were going to go. If I was going to do a Brennan Fraser movie, it would have been Monkey Bone, baby. Hey, y'all, look, we've got some really awesome listener reviews over the past few months, and here's one of those from hashtag Team Attic Wife, which I hope is a Jane Eyre reference, and that's a joke I made, not written by Marissa. Trust me. <laughs> uh, it is. Love these Girl, guys. I get to read the thing. Okay, all right. You settle down, Jane Eyre. <laughs> okay, here I... is our here is our awesome review. Love these guys. Absolutely incredible hosts. Such a wide and fascinating range of criticism, opinions, and ideas. And the guests? Wow! I've discovered so many cool filmmakers, comedians, and artists from the show. Keep it coming! Oof. Well, thank you. Thank hey, you, yeah. Thematic oh, Wife. Yeah. Wow. Shout out. Love uh, to hear it. And it always helps our algorithm and all that stuff, however these things work, which I never understand. Uh, if you will leave us a five-star review. So that would be really awesome if you would. And hey, there's a very good chance, especially if it's as uh, delicious as this one, that we will read it on the air. So please leave us a five-star review. You're great. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you, Guy Branham. What have you got going on, and where can people keep up with you? Oh, I mean, Alonzo already did a good job of it. Watch uh, Bros on Peacock if you got Peacock, which you should have Peacock. You need to watch old Top Chefs. Um, and I'm at Guy Branham across all social media. Yeah. Yay, Guy. Thanks Yay. for coming Woop, 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 woop. Dre and Alonzo, thank you for another wonderful show. Uh, and uh, you, listener, thank you for listening. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Maximum underscore film. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Maximum Film. Or send us an email at Maximum Film at Maximum Our producer is the wonderful Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producer is also wonderful, and her name is Laura Swisher. This is a production of Maximum Fun. Bye-bye. Yay! Maximumfun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported